welcome to Puck Junk Podcast number five. Sal Barry here along with Tim Parrish. Today we're going to talk about game one and game two of the Stanley Cup finals between the Chicago Blackhawks and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And then a little bit later we're going to talk hockey cards. We'll talk about the 1984-1985 Tops and Opeechee hockey card sets. So uh, first let's, let's talk hockey. Let's talk the big series. Tim, what do you think so far? It's been pretty exciting, other than Game 1, which I think fell kind of flat. I wasn't expecting that, but Game 2 was definitely the total opposite of Game 1. Lots of scoring, kind of what we had talked about previously when we were previewing what we thought we were going to see. Goals put up in bunches, and uh, now uh, now that we've seen what both teams are capable of, Offensively, I think you're going to start to see them both settle down a little bit as it moves over to uh, over to Chicago. So game two was what we expected with the higher scoring. I mean, four to three, that's not shabby considering the NHL today where 2-1 or 3-2 is considered <laughs> high scoring sometimes. Right. But the first game was the complete opposite. I mean, it was a 2-1 shutdown kind of game where it seemed like all the action happened in like the first seven minutes of the first period and the last seven minutes of the third period. And then in between, it was just a lot of back and forth and good chances, but not the 7-6 blowouts we were kind of expecting. Well, and that's the thing when you're trying to bring people over to, hey, look, we have a, we have something else that nobody's ever seen before. Let's watch this hockey game and it's the finals and it's exciting. And, you know, you go on and on about all that and try to get people to watch and then you put on the ice um, that for a hockey fan, hockey fans love that. You know, a lot of hockey fans love to see the two to one, the one nothing. You know, the, the those type of games. But you know, the casual fan has no interest in that that type of contest. So, and in all fairness, soccer fans are like that too because I, I like to tease about soccer games being blowout, one to nothing. I watched the. Uh, I figured if I was gonna want to criticize soccer, I should at least watch it, which is more than what most people would do. They just make fun of it. Wow. You're a bigger man than I. Last summer, I watched the final game of the World Cup, and I think that was a one nothing game, and that was a very exciting game. I mean, it was gripping. It was exciting. There were so many near misses. I thought it was just as exciting. Maybe it's a little bit easier to to see a goal happen, you know, a little bit easier to appreciate that than near misses. But anyways, getting on to the series. So, you know, another thing that actually uh, myself and uh, Justin, the guy who was uh, talking with us last week, uh, have noticed there are a lot of these statistics that seem to upset Tim. Uh, Do you want to talk about those stats? I I guess you're not a fan of stats anymore. Do I want to talk about them? No, I don't want to talk about them, but I will. But you're gonna. I don't mind. Here's the thing, and I think I've said this before. I don't mind stats for what they are. Hey, this guy scored 20 goals. Great. Okay, this guy has 85 points on the season. Wonderful. I, I got it. But it's the stuff that in a social world that we are in, the Twitters and the Facebooks and everything else, everybody's fighting for attention. Everybody's fighting for clicks. Everybody's fighting for everybody to come to them as the news source. So now you have, oh, this is the first time in 17 years that this team has given up a goal after leading after two periods by so many goals and having served three penalties in less than 
five period. I mean, it's just one thing after the next, after the next, after that. And they just keep piling on all these circumstantial things that I don't care. I don't, I don't want to hear these things. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't interest me. I don't want anything to do with stat guys. Great. You guys are all into analyzing everything from the bits and pieces. Do it by all means, but I don't want to see it. I'm 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 sick of it. I'm 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 done with watching stats roll across the board that are similar to that. It it, it drives me crazy. Now, the stats that Tim is talking about are they're not so much stats as they are kind of like records or more of FYIs, sort of like when uh, Tevo Teravainen scored a goal and an assist in game 1 and then everybody brought up, "Oh, this is the first time a rookie has scored two points in a game 1 of a Stanley Cup final since Yarmir Yager did it back in what, 91?" I think it was two points in the third period, I think is what they said or something like that. Wasn't it? Yeah, but it, it gets ridiculous. The other things, like I'm trying to, I'm looking at Twitter right now because this is where everybody's putting this sort of things. The ones that killed me were what was it, Sportsnet stats or something like that? Just kept yes bombarding, and po- these were popping up left and right. What was it? Uh, no team in Stanley Cup Finals history has lost back-to-back home games when leading each contest after two periods. Come on, come on, really? Somebody wants to know that. that that's irrelevant. It's irrelevant because it doesn't really reflect these two teams that are playing right now. Vasilevsky was the first goalie to earn a Stanley Cup final win in relief of the starting goaltender since Frank Peter Angelo in 1991. Great. Wonderful. That's awesome. I don't know how that you can actually consider him the winning goaltender. He barely played, but I understand the rules. So, yeah, great. Wonderful. Okay, Jonathan Taves becomes the sixth player in Blackhawks history to record 100 career playoff points. Okay, fine. You, that's one thing. That, that, that's one thing. He's now number six on the all-time playoff leader list of Blackhawks. Great, done. It's not, he's now the sixth for scoring goals in the playoffs when Venus is in the moon of Mars and it's a Saturday night and there's a, Full house reunion planned for for national television broadcasts. I didn't know you were into astrology. I'm not. What is uh? What, what do the stars say? I don't even know if what I said was a real thing. I have no idea. It wasn't. But here, Blackhawks are 9-0 all time in the playoffs with Andrew Shaw scores. Dating back to the regular season, the Lightning have won 11 straight games with Tyler Johnson scores a goal. Oh, sweet that. That means they're going to win the cup. Might as well just give it to them now. Give it, just give it to them. Why not? But here, now this is interesting. Teams winning game two have gone on to win the Stanley Cup 74.7% of the time since 1939. However, I remember after the Blackhawks won game one, there was a statistic that said teams winning game one have won the Stanley Cup 77% of the time. So we have a team that won game one and 77% of the time when teams win game one they win the Stanley Cup. And then here we have had the other team win game two, and teams winning game two have gone on to win the Stanley Cup about 75% of the time. So this is where it starts to get ridiculous. It's like information overload and a bit contradictory. And you keep delving deeper and deeper and going down level after level after level. Here's the only statistic you need to know. Whichever team wins four games will hoist the cup, period. That's it. That's the only statistic I'm concerned about. What do you think's going to happen uh, game three tonight? Another high-scoring affair? 
I think it's a safe bet. Have they even announced who's going to be in net for Tampa Bay yet? I mean, is Ben Bishop going to be in? Not yet. What even happened? Let's talk about that for a second. What happened to Ben Bishop? I was watching the NHL Network's post-game coverage, and they said that it looked like Anthony Vermette had bumped into Bishop's leg and that his leg was bothering him. So I know everybody was joking around that, like, haha, he had to go to the bathroom. I mean, even Brent Sopel joked about that in the uh, NBC5 Chicago post-game coverage of the uh, Hawks-Lightning game. But then later on, they're like, well, if you look here, you'll see he seems to be favoring his leg. So we don't know if it's a leg injury. And then, of course, the Lightning coach would not discuss that in any post game. The first thing he said when he came up to the podium was, I'm not going to talk about goalies. Yeah, and that's kind of what threw me off a little bit, because usually if there's an injury, they'll say, oh, it's an upper body, it's a lower body, it's this or that. If that, if that happened on that play where it was questionable whether or not it was or was not goalie interference on that one goal. If that's where that happened, where he got a skate slid into him. But see, that wasn't... Right, that was Hosa. That was, that was like Hosa was that was in the... But I think, kind you know, of sort of in the crease. coaches have always been very tight-lipped about who they're going to play, yeah, well, especially in the finals. It was it was really weird how that happened, because you see him come off the ice, and it didn't, it didn't to me, look like he was skating gingerly or favoring a leg or any of that kind of stuff. I thought it was an equipment issue and they couldn't get it fixed in time for him to come back on the ice after the TV timeout. So I thought for sure, you know, he'd be back in as soon as they fix the equipment. But then, yeah, he comes in and then a minute later goes back off the ice again and you see him walk to the locker room. And that was the end of that. So I thought that was really bizarre and strange and, yeah, all the speculation came out. Oh, he's hurt. Oh, he had to go to the bathroom. Oh, it's equipment. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. I, I, no one said a word. That's the weirdest thing to me. Coaches don't like to say too far ahead of time if they're going to do a goaltending change. They don't want to. They don't want to talk about that. They don't want to say like, "Hey, our starter is hurt. We're going to put in our backup," who a lot of people think is a very great goaltender and could eventually be a starter there you go there's the question let's say something is wrong with bishop can vasilevsky replace him yeah he can because you didn't you didn't think bishop was the best thing since sliced bread i didn't think bishop was i thought he was questionable i thought he had the potential to be shaky now we're not talking about a potentially shaky starting goaltender now we're talking about his backup is this kid gonna collapse under pressure and he even said in an interview afterward, he's like, he was pretty nervous going out there. I mean, once the nerves kind of subsided after he took a couple shots on goal, then he was okay. Yeah, of course he was nervous. I mean, it's it's, uh, it's a high-pressure situation to be thrown in. Game two of the Stanley Cup Finals at home, 3-3 tie. Your team is down one to nothing, and then the rookie gets a tap on the shoulder and says, all right, you're going in. Yeah, of course that's, that's a high pressure situation but that's the kind of situation that become great stories when they work out when they work out for you you know it'll be interesting can't wait to see you take the ice all right so why don't we move on uh to let's talk some trading cards i want to talk about the 84 85 tops and opichi sets because it's an anniversary year 30 year anniversary of those sets i think it's the greatest set of the 80s and I think it's one of the nicest looking sets hockey card sets of all time and definitely one of the best of the 
pre-1990 era where um, you still kind of had like the full color fronts but like the cardboard backs. Just to give a little bit of a, a rundown on this set, the 8485 Opeachy was immensely popular. There was a contest that they did where one of the things you could win was an uncut set of uh, the cards. 396 cards. The tops set, on the other hand, only had 165 cards. And what's a little interesting about this is that the 8485 top set was that this was their first hockey card set in three years. They didn't make a set in 82-83 or 83-84. It was just Opeachy hockey cards. So tops came back rather inauspiciously with 165 card sets. Those odd numbers that tops did 165 cards, 198 cards. You're always going to get imbalanced amounts. There were some cards that were single printed, some cards that were double printed. So like for instance, I believe the Steve Eiserman rookie card is double printed because Topps would print these cards, so would Opeachy, on 132 card sheets. So whenever you had a set that was 198 cards, that meant 132 of them were printed singly and 66 of them were printed twice so that they could fill out 264 cards on the sheets but you know there'd be doubles well peachy was a tough one to tough one to put together because at the time that i got back into or really got into i guess collecting hockey cards it was the early 90s and a set like this was garnering a premium especially for the opeachy card so uh, i've picked some up here and there you know i have a doug gilmore rookie i've got a chelios rookie I think I have the Cam Neely rookie somewhere, but uh, so I have like the some of the bigger guys that were in the Opeachy version that weren't in the Tops version. From the Tops standpoint, I had a lot of these uh, later on, just because they were cheaper to find. You can usually find this whole set for well under fifty bucks. The top set. The top set. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's even with the Iserman that's in there. Like you said, it was a double print card, so. You know, the, the, the most sought-after one of the two is going to be the Opeachy card. Um, you can find that Iserman, that Iserman Tops rookie for under 20 bucks in most cases. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that I loved about this set back in the day, because I did pick up an 84-85 Tops set pretty cheap in the late 80s. I think I paid like $7 for it or $8. I used like my graduation money from 8th grade. Wow. Bought it from a mail-order catalog. 8 bucks. Yeah, it was like eight bucks. I remember that there was this mail order catalog and they had some hockey sets. And actually, one thing that really annoyed me about this particular catalog was they would false advertise the rookie cards in the set. Because I remember the 8485, their listing for 8485 said it had rookie cards of Iserman, LaFontaine, and Mario Lemieux. And we know that Mario Lemieux is not in this set. Right. But. This mail order catalog said that it was, and also that same order, I ordered the 78-79 set, and it said includes rookie cards of Federko, Duguay, and the great Gretzky. And of course, Bernie Federko and Ron Duguay are in the set, but not Wayne Gretzky. And so as a kid, I'm like getting these and going through, and I'm like, there's no Gretzky in this set, there's no Lemieux in this set. This mail order catalog had so many of these sets that not only were they selling them like five ten dollars each but then they were also lying about what rookie cards were in the set so i was a little disappointed when i got my 8485 top set because it didn't have a lemieux rookie because there was no lemieux rookie in it but i loved the way it looked 
honestly, this is the high water mark for me when it comes to hockey card sets in the 80s. You have a full color action picture, and then you have a headshot tucked in the corner. And almost every single picture in these sets, the players are skating. They're moving the puck, they're skating, they're doing something exciting. Sure, once in a while you have a warm-up shot or a player waiting for a face-off or a goaltender, you know, without his mask on. But, I mean, you look at the Chelios rookie, that's game action. You look at the Neely rookie, that's game action. You look at a lot of these cards, the photos are very exciting. They're almost as good as, say, like Upper Deck from the early 90s. Maybe not as clear, but the action and excitement is there. And then they put a little headshot in the corner, which is nice because that gave you a close-up, candid look at the player's face. And many times, even without their helmet and with the goalies, almost always without their mask. So... Just from that standpoint, this set is awesome. And in the back, what you'd expect, get all the statistics. You get, you know, the height, weight, birthplace, birth date. They shoot right or left, where they live, not just where they were born, but what city they now call home. And then their complete statistics. The top set, I'm not a huge fan of it because it only has 165 cards, whereas the OPG set has 396 cards, and that's just way more comprehensive but at the same time if you're like well I just want to have an Iserman rookie and a LaFontaine rookie and you know some cards of my favorite players you know like Gretzky go for it and the other thing too is if you look at pure what is a base card you know technically there's only 152 cards because you got 12 all-stars and a checklist in there too for having been off and having been out of the hockey card market for two years I think this is a solid return just like you, I like the design. I think it's a very good design for a card. I like the fact that there's the two photos on the front because you didn't have that very prevalently in, in hockey, if at all, at that point. And really all they did, I mean, if you look at the Topps design of all their products, really they just took the 83 Topps baseball set and they put it, moved it over into the hockey set. When I had those cards from that era, I had way more baseball. And you'll notice the difference between 83 tops baseball and the 84, 85 tops hockey, all the hockey are uniform. So every single card has the design exactly the same way, and the headshot is down in the bottom right-hand side. If you look at 83 tops baseball, it changes. So some cards it's on the left, some cards it's on the right. So that's, that's really the only major difference that I see between the two, but it's the same design. It worked well, and it's, and it's solid. And with the Opeechee, it, you know, pretty much it's follows parallel with the same, you know, that same, uh, same design. But, uh, you're right. If you're looking for these guys and you're looking for a, a cheap rookie card, you know, the Iserman rookie is a good one to get. LaFontaine's in there. Pat Verbeek, Dave Andrichuk, there's a Tom Barrasso in there. Oh, yeah, Tom Barrasso. Totally forgot that he was in that set. Yeah, most people forget because he was still on Buffalo at the time. So it's definitely a good, solid product. It's easy to put together. So if you're a set collector and you're looking for something that's that's small and cheap and looks pretty decent in a binder, this is definitely a good one to go after. Yeah, and I'd say, or you could just save your money and just get the OPG version, which has twice as many cards. Both are great. I have both, of course. You know, I got the Tops one first, and then later on, I finally tracked down an OPG set. I forget when, maybe 10 years ago. Forgot what I paid for it. I got it for a pretty good price. Glad I got it. You know, one thing that's that's kind of interesting is that in the early 90s, Score's Pinnacle set would revisit the two pictures on the front. And then in 2010-11, Upper Deck also revisited, you know, the two pictures on the front. 
And I don't think it worked for these sets. With the 91-92 Pinnacle, there was just a lot of dead space. It was almost like they just said, hey, we're going to put two pictures on the front and one picture on the back because we need to look different than all the other cards that are out there on the market. But by then, the whole idea had lost its luster. The advantage of 84-85 putting the headshot on the front was because the backs were always printed not black and white, but like dark ink against a light background. So putting that second picture on the front was nice. Once cards started putting a second picture on the back side, it wasn't really necessary to put a headshot on the front. That was the first year for Pinnacle, right? That was 91, 92? Yeah, that was the first year. I got the set, but I'm not, not enamored with it. Well, see, I remember at the time when that came out, I wouldn't say that was a premium set. But that one, those packs weren't 50 cents, like pretty much everything else. No, they were meant to be like the more expensive version of Score. That was more of an expensive version, so they did the glossy. They were trying to do something a little different there. But if you go to that upper deck... The 1011 upper deck? That upper deck follows the same design as baseball. It's not identical, but it's pretty darn close to the baseball set from 2009 when they lost their baseball license. So they tried to do the card almost very similar to that. I think an obvious question is, why hasn't this design come back in, in, in all the years of uh, hockey cards? Why haven't we seen the 84-85 set design reprised? And the answer to that, glad you asked, is that Upper Deck has the exclusive rights Tops does not have the rights to make cards. They license or lease or whatever the name Opeachy to Upper Deck. However, every time Upper Deck would riff on a Tops design, they would get a cease and desist from Tops. That I know that happened in 2009. Remember the 2008-2009 Opeachy retro cards looked like the 79-80 Gretzky rookie year cards the blue yeah the blue borders and then they also did something where upper deck put out opg baseball and i forget what year it is but it looked like an old top set do you remember that yes the um, what year was it that was 2009 i think so it was would have been around that time because this is because tops moved pretty quickly and they just said you got to stop doing this and they took them to court and it was just basically that's why that one year of retro hockey looked like 79-80 but then after that they started coming up with their own unique designs and not just taking an older design and I think that's a shame because tops even though they leased the Opeachy name for their hockey cards to upper deck they still want to retain their designs. I mean, they took the 71-72 Topps hockey design and they used that for a baseball card set, which really annoyed me. You know, here's this great hockey design and you're using it on a baseball card set because you can, because it's your design, I guess. But I'd much rather see that used on hockey cards. It's a catch-22. You're going you're gonna to nab half of the population, the collecting population, and you're going to turn off the other. You're going to grab the guys that are be like, oh, it's nostalgia, it's retro, it's this, it's that. And then you're going to tick off the other half that always are like, oh, this again? Why can't they come up with anything new? Why can't they come up with a fresh idea? Why? So you always have that, that, polar, that polar opposite of the collector that's out there. And if something ever came out about again from 84 Tops, it'd be interesting to see. If it did, chances are you're probably going to see it in an Opeachy design. Uh, it'll either be a retro card or um, something, some type of insert, I would imagine. 
where uh, where upper deck throws it into another set. I don't I don't think they'll they'll ever come out with like a a tribute set per se or do a whole design base that way that's for an exclusive card. Yeah, it's it's odd because it's like Tops has all that like pre nineteen ninety history, but upper deck has the exclusive rights. So, you know, you're kind of at a standstill where upper deck can make the cards, but they can't do anything really historical. You know, they can't do any blast from the past or retro sets. You know, that's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is right now. That's all the attention span I have for today, so uh, thank you for clicking on that play button, and hopefully you'll be back again next week.